Well, good morning, everybody. Um, And I would begin by thanking you uh, for your support and prayers. Uh, I now have a brand new knee. (laughs) And, um, yeah, and um, it... It's so commonplace, apparently, these days that it's hardly anything. But um, for me, it was a lot. <laughs> and um, as you might have noticed in the last months, I've hardly been able to walk. And um, it's, it's a new experience. And so thank you for your prayers. And um, continue with therapy in this incoming week. And so, and also let me quickly say before I begin that um, our retreat is its our annual retreat. We've been doing it for years. Uh, and the retreat is the first weekend of December. And this time it's not up here in the hills where we've normally been, but it's down by the airport and in the uh, Doubletree Hilton. And actually that is going to help a lot of people, especially you Zoomers, um, because uh, they'll come and pick you up at the airport and uh, you won't have to rent a car. And then um, after the retreat is over, underscore that, um, they will take you anywhere within two-mile radius, which places you just about everywhere in San Antonio that you want to go. But that's after the retreat, of course. And um, so I say it because... People have a habit, and I don't think I'm going to break it this year either, but the habit is they don't book until the very last minute. Well, we are um, limited in space. Not severely, but we are limited in space. And this is the celebration of my 70th year in the ministry, and that itself is going to bring a few more people in. And... um, which means, very really means, you could go to book it later on and not be able to get in. That's a very real possibility this year. And so right now, you've got space. You can do it quite easily. But I say that because I've checked on people over the years, and usually it goes right down to the night before, and people are still trying to book. And so... Please don't do that this year. You can book right now, and there's plenty of room. On the website. Sorry? On the website. Yeah, you can go to our website and book there and uh, make it much easier. And what I'm talking about in that retreat is living now in the rest of God. And that is, in one sense, the essence of the gospel that we've come to rest. There's no more struggle. There's no more anxiety. There's no more trying to get where you've got to go. No more doing to get. All of our doing arises from the fact we've got. Uh, We've arrived. We're here. We're seated in the heavenly places in Christ. There's nothing more to do. He did it all. And therefore rest. And Hebrews 4 emphasizes it that there is a rest for the people of God. And apparently the people he was writing to hadn't got it. And he he said, you've got only one labor in life, and that is to stop trying. Um, Labor to stop laboring. And um, 
enter into the rest of God. So there it is. Um, and I want to speak this morning on, um, might be a simple subject, um, at least to many people. It, it is, um, if I want a title, uh, what is eternal life? Uh, of all the words that are used in Christian circles, eternal life must be number one. Um, I was raised on that, that we, we, we have eternal life. Though no one told me what that meant, and I went through many years in my early life in Christ without even knowing what that meant, eternal life. And it dawned on me that not much has changed in 70 years. And so uh, there is a text. I'm not going to speak directly into this text, but it will be in everything I say. And I'm just, really what I'm going to, I'm having a chat with you. I'm not going to preach. Uh, I'm, I'm taking a text here and a text there and, and try and see what the whole New Testament says about eternal life. But this is the most in your face. John seventeen three. Well, make it two. Um, Jesus is speaking to the Father and says, you gave him authority over all mankind that to all whom thou hast given him, he may give eternal life. And then, and this is eternal life. So this is really the only direct definition we have in the scripture of what eternal life is. He says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. So there you have it. Eternal life is knowing the Father and knowing Jesus. That's what he said. That's it. But as I say, I'm not speaking directly to that. I'm taking a much broader view. I say it's one of the most used terms in the whole Christian world. But very few people, very few, I've asked around for the last decades, very few people understand what it means. And what they think it means falls hopelessly short of what it does mean. And that's very sad. Ignorance is always very sad. But in this case, if I don't understand what eternal life is, then I am crippled. And I use that term very carefully. I am crippled in any idea of living the Christian life as it's described in the New Testament joy, peace, and rest. Um, in fact, there are vast areas of the Christian life that you'll never know even exist until you understand what eternal life is. And I've, I see, we've got a problem. It's not just that people don't know. We've got a problem with the very term, yeah. eternal life. And, and I, don't, don't be upset. Um, but what John wrote there in the original language of the New Testament, which is Greek, when he wrote it, he didn't write that. That is nowhere to be found in the entire New Testament. Eternal life is a translation of what he said, but it's a very bad translation. And that has messed the heads of everybody. Eternal, eternal life. And, and, and so... Well, you ask me, what, what's eternal? 
I'm not going to go around the room and ask that, but I could, and it would be interesting. What, what, what's eternal? It's a vague word. It's a, it's a, what word? Eternal. Well, you know what eternal means. It, it means, it means, it's usually in the people's minds, it's to do with after you die or after Jesus comes again. And it's, it's out there, it's up there, eternal. It, it means, I've heard it many times, well, you're going to live forever. Sort of, yeah. It, it means, and hear me very carefully, it means that there are millions of believers who look at the Christian life through the lens, through the lens of afterlife. And in fact, what they call evangelism is hinged on that. Uh, where will you spend eternity? There you got the word again, eternity. Um, do, do you know if you died tonight, where are you going to go? I don't know. If you're not an evangelical, you wouldn't know what I'm talking about. But um, I, I, I've, you know, I've spent most of my life in airports. Um, and... It's very interesting, you know, stand there just minding your own business and some bright-eyed little evangelical comes up in your face uh, and say, are you going to hell when you die? Well, it's a great question. And um, their, their whole thing is, do you know where you're going to spend eternity? Are you going to... And I just, just said to me, does anything happen before you die? <laughs> that you're, you're talking about, the, is that Christianity? Is it an afterlife experience? Well, that's where multitudes of people are. They, they think in terms of, I'm going to heaven when I die. Um, I, I'm going to just live on and on and on and on forever because I've accepted Jesus. Is that what it is? What about today? Well, what about today? Well, I suppose you try and live a good, by which they mean a moral life, uh, if you're really into it, you'll try and be like Jesus, really go for it. Uh, and then you, you've got to go to church as often as the doors are open, uh, pray every day, hopefully, read the Bible every day. What, what did they tell you when you became a Christian? Do you remember? Um, I remember very vividly. Uh, they, they sat me down, they said, now, you've got to pray every day, read your Bible, come to church, and do the best you can. Well, great, that's it. No, uh, I mean, is that in, that's not in the New Testament. I don't know what they were quoting from, but it's not in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Now, you see, the New Testament is not, it doesn't talk about an unending life. Oh, P.S., yes, of course you will. But that's not the gospel, not the gospel. Uh, and I suppose if you're afraid of dying, that's a, excites you a bit. But um, the relief soon goes away because you're stuck with here and now. How, how do I live until I die? And everything happens after I die, but how do I live until I get there? And because there's no answer to that. And, and what's going to happen when you go to heaven? Um, that, I've got interesting answers to that. I mean, I mean, get get over the old idea of mansions and and living in you know little rosebud gardens and no 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 come on please is that what Jesus died and rose again for to give you roses in your garden? Uh, um, others say, well, I want to go and see my mother, and I appreciate that, but it is the whole of going to heaven to have a family reunion. It's 
I'm not putting that down, but don't think that's heaven. Of course, the, you meet all your relatives, but uh, it's not heaven. So what is this unending life? What are you going to be doing? <laughs> and, and again, the third and big answer is, well, it's an, an unending church service. Oh, Lord. Uh, <laughs> that, and I, I mean it. No, no wonder people don't want to become Christians. Forget it. It's boring. And, and, and so God appears on that screen as saying, I'm going to sit there unendingly and you're going to tell me how great I am. That sounds like the ultimate narcissist. Uh, obviously he's got no interest in you. You're just going to hang out there forever and ever and ever and ever and say, you're good, you're great, you're wonderful. Um, and I'm not, you know, Okay, get to it. The word eternal doesn't mean that. Doesn't mean it. It's a bad translation. What does eternal mean? The Greek word is almost, a, you can put it in English, aeon. An aeon. Well, what's an aeon? You might have heard it. It's used in English. But let me tell you, it means an age or period of time, an age long. And so speaking in the Greek language of the New Testament, my aeon right now is 84. That's my aeon. But, but there was a mosquito that went through our porch the other day, and its aeon is a few days. Do you follow? Aeon is a neutral word. It just means an age. Uh, the age of a tree, the age of a man, the age of... Aeon, age line. Or you could say, not as exactly, but it could mean a lifetime. How long or how short. When you're speaking of God, it uses another expression. It says the ages of ages, which means age upon age upon age, but still not using that vague idea of eternity. In fact, you could say that the mean you look back to the vanishing point, and you look forward to the vanishing point, and that's this word when used of God, the aeon. Um, but in the New Testament days, they were expecting the Messiah, and so it was spoken of as that unique age. There's a unique time coming. If you lived in, in, say, at the end of the Old Testament, coming into the New Testament, you knew Messiah is coming, and you would look at that unique, that other age, that different age, when Messiah will come, and he will bring his life with him. Heaven will come to earth, and you will live a heavenly life on earth. And that was the, the age, not just any age, not your age, not my age. This is the age the age of Messiah. And that's, now we're getting close to it, that the age of Messiah was a new kind of life. It was a life we've never had before, a life that is uniquely God's life inside my time-related life. Life. In fact, to the point where the two words in the Greek language, there's the word that I exist. We're sitting here. We're in partly good health. We're breathing. We're sort of freedom pain. And that life, 
I exist is called bios in the Greek language, from which we get our English word biology. It means life, you're alive. But when he spoke of this, the unique life that will come in the days of Messiah, when heaven will be joined to earth and earth will live like heaven, that was called Zoe. And Zoe in Greek means a life that contradicts death, a life that's not death. There is no death. It is life. Zoe. And so here we walk around with bios, but the promise of eternal life is an age or a time when there shall be the blessed invasion of Zoe, a life that is God's life and and will not die. That doesn't begin after death. That begins the moment you connect with that. And actually it begins before that. But when your eyes are open to connect with it, it's not a life that begins after death. So the New Testament idea of eternal life had nothing to do with after death. It has everything to do that in this now moment there's been the coming of God's life. And I, who am a bios person, has now become connected, participating in Zoe, a life that cannot die. So this isn't something that takes place after time stops. But no, it's accessed right here and now. This day, in the month of September 22, it means that people sitting in front of me and me sitting in front of you, we are actually, really now, participating in God's own life that came to us through Jesus Christ. That's a different kettle of fish. And, And Jesus, he says it right to people, you know, he said, you remember the woman of Samaria? He said, if, if you knew the gift of God, dear Lord, if you had a clue, if you knew the gift of God, and if you knew who I was, saying to you, give me to a drink, you would have asked me, and I would have given you living, the word there is Zoe, living water. He said, this water that you pull out of the well, that's bios water. You know, it's, it's just part of creation. It exists. It's a, it's a certain kind of life, molecules and all that sort of stuff. But he said, I give you a Zoe water, which satisfies a thirst inside of you that you can hardly put definition to. He said, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. Of course, they'll be back tomorrow. But whoever drinks of the water, the Zoe water that I will give him, shall never thirst. I will give him water that will become in him, in. So you don't go outside to get it. It's not over there or up there. It will be in the person, and in the person it will become a well springing up into this, and we've translated it, eternal life. So he said, the living water, the zoe, it's like an artesian well. It's springing up. It doesn't depend on how much rain there's been. It's just springing up. An artesian well has got a a continuous spring and leaping. 
which is another way, is a well bursting out of you. And it comes with force. There's a, a force behind an artesian well. I say again, it's not, doesn't depend. Um, not, not really illustration, but around this side of our ranch, we've got Doe Creek. That, that depends entirely on rainfall. And you can go for months without seeing a drop of water in that creek. But down at the bottom there is Bandera Creek. And that's fed by springs from higher. And the water is always pouring down there. Big difference, you see. And that's, that's not an artesian well. That's just a little spring out of Edwards Aquifer. But do you see what I mean? I'm not depending on something happening to give me this life. This life is resident within and has within it resurrection power to leap and spring and burst up like an artesian well. And Jesus said that he is the one who gives it. He said, you would have asked of me and I would have given. There's no price to it. I, I would have given you. So the gift of eternal life or this heavenly, whatever you want to say, this coming of God into our human life. The first one is Jesus, and he is God who took our humanity to show us what he's talking about. That here is God living inside humanity. And he said, come to me and I'll give you what I've got. I'll give you who I am. Gift of life. The gift and the giver are one person. The gift is Christ and Christ is the giver. This is Christianity 101. You see, it's got nothing to do with where you go after you die. That would take care of itself. Get this straight. Yeah, this is life now. And we drink of him. We imbibe him. We take him like water into us. He's the source, the giver. And we discover in us this person. We are living by another's life. Amen. Do you follow? I don't want to say that too quickly. Christianity is sharing, participating in another's life. I live my life. I've not got lost in that life. I live my life, but the life I live is his life. It's eternal life. And John met with Jesus after, I emphasize this, after he had ascended into the heavens, you could say. And John was Jesus' best friend, you know. He was only a kid. When he came to Jesus, he was probably 14 or 15. And well, so were most of the other disciples too. But John just, I mean, he and Jesus clicked. And Jesus had a best friend. And it was John. And, but when he met Jesus after he'd ascended, he, he writes about it. He said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He placed his right hand on me. Now that's another message, but it's a jolly good one. For, for, to place your right hand, Jesus had to come and kneel beside him and put his right hand. And, and, and he said to him, don't be afraid, for goodness sake. He said, come on, get up. He said, I am the first and the last. 
All time begins in me and all time ends in me. I'm the whole picture. And then he says, and, so I'm the first and the last, and the living one, the Zoe one. And it's hard to say really what that means. He he means I am the living, I am, I am the living one. I don't give you a thing called life. I am that. So you could say, I am livingness. Touch me and you're alive. He, he is. And then just in case you missed it, he said, I was dead. I love that. It's my favorite expression in the whole life. I was dead. Have you met anybody that says, oh, by the way, I was dead. Uh, I was dead. He says, I am livingness. I was dead. And then he says, behold, which is an old English word, which means, wow, did you see that? Behold. He says, I am alive forevermore. That is a life that inherently cannot die. It's the life of God. Then he says, I have the keys of death and hell. And that means um, whatever death was held and hell was held for before is no more. Someone got in there and took the keys. Um, That's very comforting. So if you end up in hell, you'll find Jesus is there to welcome you and and say, I own this place now. And so, so he says, I am, that's the name of God. I am the alive one. That's another way of putting it. I am the living one. And I was dead, which means now I'm here alive. I've canceled death. I've reversed death. And that life that's reversed death is standing in front of you right now. So what is this life? This life is a relationship to the one who is life. Now, now hear me. It doesn't say that he gives us a thing called life and then leaves you with it and walks away. And you'd better work hard to keep your life. This is very important. He doesn't give an it. He doesn't give you a thing that you've got to now keep. He says, I am the it. So you can't have the it without me. You know, I could give you my coat. Wouldn't harm me at all. But if you want my heart, I'm sorry. I come with my heart. See, so he gives us rain. He gives us sunshine. He gives us beauty and sunsets and gives us many things. But if you want life, he comes with the gift. Life is in a relationship with Jesus. Life, let me push that a bit, is actually partaking of Jesus. Life is a he. Life is a person. And he says, now you take that, you participate You share my life. I don't give you and walk away. You actually share my life. So that means it's not a formula. You can't 
learn that. You don't say, if you do this, if you do that, you'll get... No. You are sharing the life of another. It's not a discipline. It doesn't say, you know, here's the rules and you've got to keep them. The other word in the New Testament for that is abiding, which means to move in and live in seamless relationship with someone. You moved in. It's a relationship with Jesus. Wow. That means the life that I'm talking about is not anchored in my willpower. Because if it was, I'm done. Forget it. It is anchored in him who is the resurrection, who was dead, conquered death, rose and says, now, share my life. Don't try and be like me. Share my life. And again, John 10 and 10, um, he spoke of specifically to religion, the Pharisees, and calls them thieves. He said, the thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. Interestingly, that word there in the Greek language is the same word Same word that is used in Luke 15, but translated there as lost. And so Jesus said, the thief comes to steal you, to kill you, to destroy you, and declare you lost, finished, done. It's what religion does, according to Jesus. He says, I came that they may have life, Zoe, and have it abundantly. That is, I'm not tight-fisted. There's not, not a microgram of poverty in the mind of God. He is never measuring things out. I'm sure that's the first thing my grandmother had a big deal with God about, because she forever cleaned your plate, you know. Every last piece of potato has to be eaten because they're dying of starvation in the Gobi Desert. Well, give them it. <laughs> she could never enjoy anything because everything you had, to, you, you didn't have enough. There's people who don't have enough. You live with, I don't have enough. God comes, he does the daftest things. They, they, he didn't turn a few glasses of water into wine. It was 180 gallons. That's too much. <laughs> You're serious. And, and then when he, you know, fed the 5,000, there were 12 enormous baker's baskets to collect out what was left over. They couldn't finish it. Doggy bags, you know. It was, do, do you, um, you know, when you say things like this, it's, it's kind of funny, but it's true. That's not a joke, you know, that's absolutely true. Whatever he does, it is abundant. It's anti-death. It's anti-poverty. It's anti-loss. It's more abundantly. And interesting, and I can't go into this, but the actual, if I gave you the whole Greek of what Jesus said there, it, it means... I have come so that it will be as if you were never lost and you were never stolen from and you never killed and never destroyed. 
It isn't that, well, that's who you were, but God forgave you and had mercy on you. No, it isn't. It is. In God's sight, it never was. You sleep. That's the meaning of forgiveness with God. Forgiveness isn't why you did it, but I... No. God says it never was. You, you start, It's life more abundantly. This is um, really spelled out at the very beginning of John's gospel. And it's really too big for this. We do a whole Bible school on this. But I'll try to be... Because it's so important. In John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning, the beginning of the beginning of the beginning of the beginning. And not at the beginning, but in the beginning. So it's not when it started, it was there before the start. It's in the beginning. What do you have there? Well, you only have God. And how do I, what would he look like? Well, in the beginning was the Word. And already you, it's talking about a person. And the Word, that person, was God. But the Word was with God. So I am looking at one who is God, but is with another person who is God. And and the word with there, that's a very poor way of saying it, really. It's good enough, but because uh, I'm with you right now. Let's see, that's not what it means. That word with means what I am to Cheryl. With there is not just with you all. It means the exact translation of it is face to face. Um, some have even translated it cheek to cheek. It's eye to eye, almost nose to nose. It's it's in your face. It, it means toward. The Greek word is pros. And it says there there is a word who was God. And that word, that person was pros, was toward, face to face with God. Wow. Face to face. That That is some expression. I've never really got to the bottom of it. Because if you are face to face with a person, eye to eye, there can be no shame. No shame whatsoever. You try it. If If you're ashamed of you, you can't look anybody in the eye, let alone come face to face with someone. Your eyes will, beyond your control, they will dip. They can't, they can't look you in the eye. We say that. So face to face means a beautiful nakedness. It, it means transparency. It means no secrets. It, it means love. But it, it means Love that likes. And some people have a differentiator. Some people find it very easy to love and can't like anybody. But, because that's not understanding the words. But there is that sense that, that love is not something static. Love is this like, this, this desire for another that, that I want to be with. I'm in your face. I'm not walking away. And wherever I am, I'll always be in your face. You're never out of my life. I could keep going. As I say, we have a 15-hour Bible school on this one text. And so 
But you see, and that's the Father, God the Father, God the Son. They're not one person. It's two persons. And with face-to-face couldn't be closer, but they don't lose themselves in each other. Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. Yet they are so utterly one. And how can there be utterly one? Love. That's why we say God is love. If, if, if the Father wasn't loving the Son and the Son loving the Father, then God couldn't be love because it takes two to love. God is love. And in that love is life. And you see, it's Jesus, the Son, the Word, who became flesh. But he didn't stop being face to face with the Father. He didn't say, you know, well, Father, I'll I'll see you in 33 years. Um, Why did Jesus go into the mountains for hours, half the night? Why? Because he was face to face with the Father. And he always said, whatever the Father says, uh, that's what I say. Whatever he does, that's what I do. He was face to face. They were acting as one person. Then it says, we read it, there, in him, in that word, who is face to face with the Father, in him is life. So face to face with the Father, becoming human looks like life. Do you follow that? You're allowed to say no. Um, it's, um, uh, it took me 70 years to say that. Um, it's, it's not an easy thing to conceive. But God is life. What does that life look like? It looks like the Word, face to face with the Father, love. And when that Word became flesh, one of us, and took humanity into himself, he continued being face to face with the Father. And he says, that's my life. Life is relationship. Life is participating in. Life is one with. That's life. Now he brought that life into human and says, come on, share my life. And my life is shared with the Father. And the Father loves me and you in me. He loves you the same way as he loves me. Am I going too fast? (laughs) That's life. Without face-to-face knowing Jesus and in Jesus knowing the Father, there is no life. You see, love, love is a verb. You ever thought about that? It's not a noun. Love is a verb, which means it's always action. You can't say, I love you. Show me. You've, you've heard it. Of course, love is a verb, action. Love is movement. It's movement toward that idea, toward face to face. When God says he is love, it means, first of all, within the Holy Trinity, love, love, love that binds together. But that love 
now of necessity reaches beyond himself to us. He's toward us. If God be for us, toward us. I mean, get it. This is the gospel. This is what Jesus came to tell us. God, don't, don't just say he loves you, because that's, that's, of course, the final truth. But understand what you're saying. Yeah. You are saying God is for me. He is toward me. He looks in my eyes and says, I like you. He refuses to be God without you. Love. And knowing that, waking up to that's the way it is, you've realized life as life. So we, we are right, right at this nano minute, right here and now, this micro moment. We are in this relationship to Jesus and then to the Father. Right at this minute, in, in the very veins and ligaments and muscles and my deepest spirit person, I participate in, I actually share in the life of God. That's a lot more than bios. See, if, if you're only bios, it's no wonder they thought they came from apes. Because apes have bios too. Um, so if a scientist looks in the mirror and sees his grandfather, he, he says, I, I'm an ape. And, and, and all his conclusions came out of an ape's brain. <laughs> wonder why I don't believe him. It's, and I, I, that to me is absolute final truth. I, I, I am totally, there is a chasm between me and the latest ape. It can never be bridged. I was created in the mind of God for Zoe, not just by us. I was created for this life. I was created to be his familiar. You you can't earn this. You you can't you can't imitate it either, and that's even more than earning, because lots of people try to imitate it. And it's certainly not an excited feeling when the feelings belong to the bios. You know, I I have uh, circular feelings. They come around on a regular basis. Sometimes you're up and sometimes you're down. And it's all within your hormones and everything else. Well, this life is not hormonal. You know, this life is, is not that, uh, well, you know, go to a meeting and I'll feel good. This life is. Period. Just is. There's, I, I, sometimes I feel it. Sometimes I'm overwhelmed by it. Sometimes you just sit there with your mouth open. It's, but normally speaking, you just is. You be. It's life. Only, I live life with a wink. It's my life, but I know that it's his life in me, you know. And we we are partaking, that's the key word, we're partaking, we're participating, we're sharing in another's life. 
And, okay, let me give an illustration. It's a very limited illustration, so don't run with it. But just to try and communicate this idea of living with another's life, you know, I think all of you know, that a baby in the womb lives from its mother's life. Now, just think about that. You nodded very quickly. So you, you understand that. Then how is it difficult to understand that we live from the Creator's life? Uh, and when we say, you know, the baby takes the flesh of the mother, but everything the mother eats, the baby eats. Good or bad. And it's so real. It's her life. And the baby participates in her life. But it isn't that, well, the baby says, it's, it's, I know this, but it isn't my life, it's hers. No, it becomes the baby's life. And in a terrible, it's almost cruel to use the illustration, but when I was in New York City working with drug addicts a lot, and I have seen babies born heroin addicts, and it is the most terrible sight, it's the worst nightmare you'll ever see, because the mother was a heroin addict, and she gave that to the baby, and the baby didn't say, well, that was my mother's, you know. No, the baby became. And I say that, as I'm in the extreme negative, but that's also true of the extreme positive. Yes. And it's not only the food. Whatever the mother talks about, the baby hears that and responds to it. Um, whatever TV program she watches, the baby picks that up and eats it. Um, so if she takes vitamins or if she takes poison, it, it's, it's all shared. It shapes the baby. The mother's dreams, the mother's fears and anxieties, the mother's disease, the mother's health, it's all the baby takes it, assumes it. It's a, the baby is living and maturing by another's life. And we all take that for granted. It's ever, that's the basis of our humanity. Do you realize you are in... I mean, there it is. He said, you are in Christ. For me to live is Christ. Whatever he is, is what he is now sharing with me. And sharing with me, not in some religious, non-meaning sense, but I become that. And what he is, I become. Whatever thrills him, he shares with me. Paul said, the faith that I now live by is the faith of the Son of God. Jesus said, my joy I give to you. He said, receive the peace of God. Yes. Do, you, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. You, 
And this was written and talked about ordinary people just like us sitting here today. And so the complete victory of Jesus over death. So he canceled death. The one who has the keys of death and hell. I participate. That's my life. I'm in him. Taste it. The same Holy Spirit that is upon Jesus now is upon me too. And that's how the joining, that's the umbilical cord, the Holy Spirit. That's how it happens. It's simultaneous. As he is, so am I. And it brings about this seamless union. It's... We discover ourselves in the face of Jesus Christ. That's who I am. And when the baby's born, what do they say? Just like his mother. (laughs) See, this, and I, this would be very, I could say a lot more about this. But this, for those, um, I mean, and I know there's a number of Zoomers who don't understand why we, have the Holy Eucharist every Sunday. And I I can understand um, coming from where people come from, they don't understand that. But I have just said what that is. We actually, actually participate in the glorified body and blood of Jesus. Go back to the upper room, you know, before Jesus is going to be betrayed. In the upper room, the night of his betrayal, the first thing he did, they sit down to eat, and he takes what was on the table, which was the Passover, which was the covenant meal of the Jewish people, but he takes the bread and he says those words, this is my body which is given to you. As I say, we could spend two hours on that, but enough to say, my body, that is my very person, who I am. Everything I've just said, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And that takes you right back to Jeremiah 31, which is the new covenant and lists what the new covenant gives you. And he says, this is it. I am now giving myself, that is, it's not a gift external to me. It is me. I am the life. I am the gift. And I'm giving it. And as the baby in the womb eats the mother and becomes, so he instituted this and says, you eat of me, you drink of me, I become you. Our lives are shared together. You participate in me. The body of his glory and resurrection. It prefaces it by saying, do this in remembrance of me. And I've told you many times in the Bible, the the near Middle East, the word remember is not what we understand it to be. The word remember means to take that which is past and bring it into this present moment, that in this present moment, all of the powers and promises 
and hopes of the past are released into this present moment. We were talking about this this morning after breakfast, and um, and Cheryl said that as we participate in the Eucharist, she said, "I, I realize I'm there." So I asked her, in the light of remembrance, where is there? (laughs) Is there there or is there here? Do you follow me? This this is dynamic. Somebody, and I'm not mocking now, it simply happened. Uh, A man, an evangelical guy I know, he says, you know, he said, "If, if, if I took Holy Communion every week, I'd be bored out of my skull. I said, if I took it like you take it, I'd be bored out of my skull too. Because <laughs> what, what do you do? You're trying to remember a dead Jesus. I said, what we understand from Scripture, he, in all his he-ness, body and blood of the ascended, glorious Jesus. And when John saw him, he fell at his feet as dead. And that same Jesus says, fear not. Eat of me like a baby in the womb. Eat of me. Drink my blood. Take my very life and all that I am. I am in you. And that's who you become. Having said that, he then says, chapter 13 of John, and 14, and 15, and 16, and 17. And if you are familiar with those chapters, what are they all about? 100% they are about, I am in you, and you are in me, and, and, uh, well, it's, it's, it's as if what he said there in the Eucharist is now expanded to say this is the Christian life. The Christian life is not external. It's not rules. It's not a corporation, religious corporation that you go to. We come here to celebrate the fact that we are the body of Christ. But even there, we're the body, he's the head. If I'm looking at my body, the same life in that body is the same life in my head. And what my head thinks is immediately registered in the rest of my body. Saying the same thing. So I am saying this is internal, a reality, Christ in you. And at the same time, I can't live without you. Because we's the body. And this life of Christ flows through all of us. And he says, you enter this life by faith, whoever believes. And have you noticed how many times in the New Testament it says, believe on, believe upon, or when it says believe in, the actual Greek word there is into, believe into. So be careful when you say, we just got to believe. 
No, 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 no. He's talking about something else here. Believe upon. Well, I'm believing upon this chair. Um, I mean, if this chair gives way, I'm gone because there's, I'm, not, I'm not resting in anything else. I don't have any ropes attaching me. You follow? I believed upon it and sank into it and trusted my physical life to it. Believe into. It's not, I, I can't believe into Abraham Lincoln. I can only believe into you because it, it means trusting. It's too late to trust Abraham Lincoln. I don't know him. I believe he existed. I believe he was there in history, but I can't believe into him. That's trusting. And before I can trust, I've got to be assured of a person's goodness. I'm not going to be stupid enough to trust someone who's a crook. I trust those who love me. I trust those who have a passionate interest in me. I trust the reliable people who will be there when everybody else isn't faithful. I trust concern, care, compassion. I mean, do you witness with that? That's what trust is. So trust, When I notice you say, you don't trust someone quickly. And... There's a lot of fear in evangelism today. You've got to do this right now. Sign here. Say this prayer after me. Quick, 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 quick. You might die if you leave the... That contradicts what we're saying. He's not asking you to sign an insurance program. Evangelists are not salesmen. Actually, a a teacher of this good news of the new covenant is more like a dancing instructor. Um, I'm teaching you how to dance with God. And and that doesn't happen. If you just sign here, you'll be a professional dancer. Don't be daft. This takes time. You grow into this. And don't be ashamed of it. You've heard what we've said of the love of God, and your heart says, I, I can't believe it. That's okay. He loves you even as you're, you're doubting. It is okay. He wants somebody real here, not someone who just signed on the dotted line. And, and you begin to, he does love me. And, and the Holy Spirit, who is your real teacher, he, he's the one pouring light. And, and it happens, and you... And there comes a day where I can I trust him. And, and with many people, you trust him, and then next week you trust him again. Because, yes, you're, you're, you're learning to trust. Yeah. Yeah. I've sat on this chair many times. I didn't even have to think about flopping my whole body into it. But I'm going to some places, and I'll look at it twice before I... Sit down on it, you know. Um, trust. It's trust is union with another person. It is surrendering to that person. 
if you trust them. It's another way of saying face to face. It grows, matures. It means that life becomes an, a day-to-day ongoing discovery of the person I trust. And I discover new limits to their goodness and their kindness. And so, the text that we started with, that I haven't mentioned yet, um, and I better be quick, but John 17, he says, He may give, 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 gift, eternal life, and we've discussed what that means, Then he says, this is eternal life. This is what I'm talking about. That they may know. And as I've said before, the word know there and in most places in the New Testament is that know by experience, by observation. It means it's used to describe the marriage relationship face to face. You know. And you know that he knows me and I'm coming to know him. So this is eternal life. You want to know what eternal life is? It's a relationship face-to-face in which you know him, you trust him. And in the trusting him to simply be who he says he is, don't have to get complicated. Don't have to be a theologian. I'll do that for you. It's just trust him. And in that flopping onto his lap, trusting him. You know, there are many aspects to that. It is, it's not cut and dried and over. It's, it's a life. I'm, I'm discovering this. Yeah. I had a friend, it's a long story, so I'll cut it really short. But he lived in Portland, Oregon. And um, he had a complicated thing with the government because he was born in China to Chinese uh, missionary parents. And somehow got a Chinese passport, came back, lived in Oregon, but never changed his passport. Went to Canada and ended up getting tuberculosis of the nerves where every nerve in his body was exposed and he literally screamed with pain and he couldn't stop. So he wanted to go home but he couldn't get back into the States on a Chinese passport. And so here he was in a hospital, screaming with pain, no cure known to man, and couldn't get home. And he was of those, um, some of our brothers and sisters, who who believed that if you've got enough faith, you can get it. Uh, kind of... Um, Believe enough and you'll have enough. If you don't have it, you don't have faith. And and he said he would lay in bed in moments of consciousness and he was saying, I believe you, Jesus. I believe you, Jesus. I believe you, Jesus. You know, you're my healer. You're my healer. Then he would zap into unconsciousness. And this particular day, he came to consciousness and he said, I've had it. He says, forget it. And he said, Jesus, I'm so very sorry. I don't believe you anymore. I've tried and I can't believe you. And so I'm done. I'm finished. But 
and this is his exact words. He said, would you please put me on your lap and hold me tight until all this is over? But don't ask me to believe you because I don't. And he said for the first time in weeks, he fell into a natural sleep. And when he woke up, he was healed. And he was so angry because he said, when I told him I believed him, I wasn't healed. And he said, when I told him I didn't believe him, he healed me. Because he came to realize he didn't believe. He was trying to make God do something. Believing is what he said. I, there's no belief left in me. But I'll sit on your lap and please hold me tight. That's trust. That, they say, that's trust. As I say, there's a lot more. but And that you may know, trust him. The mirror translation of that. If you've got the mirror Bible, it's getting bigger by the month. They're almost finished. Um, yeah. But the mirror of John 17.3 says um, that in every detailed aspect of what it takes to live life in the flesh, it may be endued with the life of the ages. This life, the life of the ages, invites us to engage in the inexhaustible adventure of knowing you. And that actually says what the Greek says. That is, yeah, eternal life. This is eternal life that they may know you. He translates it, every detailed aspect of what it takes to live this life, my life here in Bandera, in the flesh, that, that life may be endued with the life of the ages, God life. This life of the ages invites you to engage in the inexhaustible adventure of coming to know you. And that's interesting also, the word there that he translates endued, or they may know you, that the tense is um, to return something to someone that already belongs to them. So you 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 lost a ring and I find it and I return it to you. Well in that sense I give it to you but it's no. I return to you what already belonged to you. And Jesus is saying this already belongs to you. This for this you were created. This is your blueprint. This is what the Father meant when he said you should be adopted into his family. I'm, I have come to return to you what through the Satan's lie you lost. Yeah. And so, yeah. It's union with this life. In that same upper room, I believe explaining the Eucharist, he said, in that day, because what he said about the Eucharist was not at that moment. He all said, it's going to happen after I rise from the dead. And in that day, he said, in that day, you will know that word again. 
you will know that I am in the Father face to face. I am in you and you are in me. It's one of the greatest verses in the New Testament. And notice what he said. He didn't say in that day, I will finally get into the Father. He said in that day, you will know that's where I am. Do you realize what he said? I'm there now, but you don't get it. You don't see it. But in that day, you'll know. And you'll know too that I'm in you and you're in me. It's true now, but you don't see it. But you'll know then. That's that's what it's about, you see. The, the gospel is not the challenge to work at it and anxiety over it and get it. And if you lose it, be back next Wednesday to get it again. And I'm not caricature. That That's where most churches live. No, this is open your eyes to see it already is. It already is. And... and, and and that's, of course, it brings us to that wonderful word that we talk about. It's translated as repentance, which is a terrible word. Metanoia. Metanoia really cannot be translated. It just means this radical, this extreme change of mind and seeing and perception and understanding to the point where it's an exchange or as the Bible says, we have the mind of Christ. It says, you see it, you got it. But it doesn't mean it started that day. No, no, no. Do you hear me? Every one of you on Zoom and everyone sitting here, this is where we is. This is. To say we get it, we see it. No, not all of us. Uh, I'm still discovering. And I mean that. That's not just, I mean it. And I know many of you have only been discovering this for the last three or four weeks, but that's okay. There's no pressure. It's, it's not my work, it's the Holy Spirit's work. And he's doing a perfect job in you. And if it takes a bit longer, that's okay. You know, and I'm serious. There is no fear in the gospel. There is no anxiety to get it right. For you have a God who will not stop pursuing you and a Holy Spirit who is your teacher and will make sure you get it. So hang loose and let the Holy Spirit do his work and bring you to trust him. It's... Let me finish by reading the prayer of Jesus at the end of that, from the Eucharist through 14, 15, 16. And in 17, Jesus prays. The whole chapter is his prayer. And he prays for us. Begins by praying for the apostles who were sitting there. And he's specific, he's praying for them. But then he says... I do not ask on behalf of these alone. So, okay, I prayed for the apostles, but I'm not, they're not. I'm also praying for those who will believe in me through their word. 
That's you. That's me. So, what's he praying? For us, that they may all be one. Listen to this. They may all be one, even as, same, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, they also may be in us. So this isn't some far out mystical thing. This is Christianity 101. Eternal life. This is it. The glory which you have given to me, I have given to them. And what is that glory that is ours? This is it. That they may be one just as we are one, Father and Son. I in them and you in me so that they may be perfected in unity. Christianity 101. And we have in the, the Western world in the, the, this, well, for the last, I don't know, 500 years, reduced that to reduced. I need a better word. I mean, bring it down to zero to say, read your Bible, pray every day, go to church, do your best. And this is what Jesus said. And that's so that the world may know, because the world can see this. When you're living in this, the world can see it. And the world then, they know that you sent me. And that you loved them even as you have loved me. Father, God the Father, so loved you with the very same love that he loved Jesus. For what reason? Because you were created to be his sons and daughters in his family and you got yourself lost and he can't rest until he brings you home. That's it. Yeah, that's it. And he ends by saying, so that the love, Jesus is speaking, so that the love with which you, Father, loved me may be in them and I in them. Amen. That was his prayer. And when Jesus prayed at the tomb of Lazarus, he said, I thank you, Father. You always hear me. So the Father heard him when he prayed for you. This is for real, you see. This is for real. And this is godliness. This is another subject, but I'll throw it in. This is godliness. Godliness means what? Being like God. Why would you be? How could you be? Because you partake of divine nature. Okay. I'm going to read and quit. This is how the first Christians described themselves. 1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning. What we've heard, we've seen with our eyes, we've looked at, touched with our hands. 
the word of life. The life, the life was manifested. We've seen, we testify, we proclaim to you the eternal life. He's talking about a person. Jesus is the eternal life. Which was with the Father, that face to face with, and was manifest to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. So come on with us, so that our joy might be full. That's Christianity 101. Where have we been all our life? Lost in a religious wilderness. Well, I don't have to. We know what I'm talking about. Father, thank you. This is all too big for words, too big for ideas. Come, Holy Spirit, and do what Jesus said you would do. And teach us and guide us into truth. And open our inside eyes to see what we've never seen before. The hope to which we have been called. And the exceeding greatness of your power, which is toward us who believe. That we shall know resurrection. Know what already is. Know the life that is an artesian well within us. And in us and through us and by us, your name shall be made great. Amen. Amen. And amen.